Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. We are so excited about today's episode. Today, we are here in studio with Dave Itzkoff, the author of Mad as Hell, The Making of Network, and The Fateful Vision of the Angriest Man in Movies. Now, we've already done an episode about Network. We've done other episodes about uh, movies by Sidney Lumet. We interviewed uh, Maura Spiegel about her biography of Sidney Lumet, in which she talks about Dave's book and how great it is. But this is exactly the kind of book that that Mike and I one night would be sitting around talking and say, you know what, someone should write a book about Network. Wouldn't it be great if, wouldn't it be great if someone out there wrote a book about Network? And we found it, and and David's cough has carried this off with grace and insight. It's a great, great deep dive into a great film that Mike and I both love. So, Dave, thanks for being here today. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me over. So we we love Network. We're, we're gushing here, but we want to know, like, what is it about this this superb movie from 45 years ago that inspired you to spend all this time writing that book. I mean, there's a lot of movies you might want to take a deep dive into, right? And then, of course, we have to ask, what are some of your favorite moments from the film? But talk talk about how you ended up doing this. There's a few reasons why I was so fascinated with the film. I mean, just the film in and of itself is an incredible work and an incredible document, both of the time in which it was made in 1976, when there were only three broadcast networks, there really was no cable TV to speak of. There certainly was no cable news, no internet, no social media, nothing like that. And the degree to which it anticipates everything that's going to happen in media and really the sort of rapid decline, especially of TV news and the, just the loss of objectivity, the loss of credibility, the degree to which a medium just completely sells out its own values and all the individuals who are involved in it. It's not, it's not just an institution kind of falling into decay by itself. It's that there are real people at every one of these junctures, and they're all making these compromised decisions. They're all cutting corners. They're all doing things that they think not necessarily are the right things, but the most expedient things to do. And by doing it, they completely uh, devalue a medium and they bring essentially the nation into chaos by doing it. It's a fascinating statement for a movie, a movie that was made by a studio, not an independent film and not some kind of uh, you know, uh, fringe project, but a real mainstream popular movie starring the biggest stars of its day to do. So all of that I thought was fascinating. And the fact that it is, yes, it's the work of all the actors who started it. It is very much a Sidney Lumet film, but it is most singularly the work of its screenwriter, Patty Chayefsky, who I thought was a just a fascinating uh, person. And I got to spend time uh, with his archives, his papers are owned by the New York Public Library, and to read not only all the drafts and documents that went into the creation of Network and how he uh, thought about the film and how he conceived it and how he rewrote it and rewrote it, but just to see how Chayefsky worked as a writer throughout his career. Uh, I mean, he really was uh, as you can probably imagine from the film, an extremely strong-willed person, an extremely passionate person, somebody who cared very deeply about America and about media, but also somebody who I think was very pessimistic about the fate of both the, you know, the industry, the news industry, the media industry, and the fate of the country, and was really trying to communicate that uh, in every way that he could. And I think that's kind of an unusual temperament for a, a filmmaker to be so kind of fundamentally, you know, grouchy and, and uh, a, a really, as I said, pessimistic about things and really trying to channel that and communicate to people. Yeah, absolutely. So as a work of art now, what, what's one of your favorite moments in the film? 
Well, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to really surprise anybody with these choices because there <laughs> are such standout moments. Everybody has a favorite. Every scene really could be a standout. I, look, I, you know, I, I, I kind of came late to this, but Ned Beatty's one big scene, you know, where he takes Howard Beale under his wing and sort of preaches the gospel and tells him, as we all know, the world is a business, Mr. Beale. It's an extraordinary moment. It's it's shot in this beautiful way in a very dark room that is lit really only by this long, long row of bankers lamps. And Ned Beatty is, you know, at the far end of a very long table. And, 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 you know, then we get these wonderful kind of close up of his face, you know, right from underneath him as he is kind of increasingly ranting and raving, he takes on this almost kind of uh, divine uh, you know, presence or, or almost a kind of satanic presence, if you want. And the things that he's saying are, uh, you know, really devastating and 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 almost kind of vile to hear them laid out so bluntly because <laughs> of how economics really drives the world. But you can't deny, uh, you know, the sort of reality of what he is saying. It's almost indisputable as he says it. I'd like to pick up on that because uh, you spend a lot of time in chapter one um, setting up uh, Kayevsky as feeling the imminent threat of a new genocide. You know, you say um, you you have him say a Jew is a man with one bag packed in the hall closet at all time and and Israel's is where you'd run. And it seems to me kind of not unrelated that I, I think the word that I would pick out for the film is relentless. It's kind of an apocalyptic black vision. It's utterly relentless. And that's what the studio saw. Uh, and I think that that's what I saw as a viewer, too. And it seems it seems to me not unrelated. So do, do you ha have the same feeling that kind of like, you know, they say if you're uh, it's not paranoia if they're out to get you. You know, do you think that the <laughs> relentlessness of that vision has anything to do with his background or his uh, politics? Yeah, no, I, I think yeah, certainly his personal politics played uh, a very strong role in that. And also just personal experience. Uh, this this hadn't, I mean, in, in some ways he was sort of anticipating his own career trajectory. Some of the things, you know, hadn't happened yet. But for example, I mean, one of the reasons why his archives are so prolific is because he lived in kind of perpetual fear that he was going to be sued at some point in his career. And then he was sued. He was sued by, you know, one of the, when he wrote Altered States, uh, a doctor who he had used as a kind of, um, you know, for research purposes and, and, and used to, to help generate ideas, basically sued him and said, you know, I am the co-screenwriter of this film. And Chayefsky then had to basically go through every single paper that he had to show, no, this was an original idea of mine and that this is how I delineated it. And so, I mean, that was the kind of world that he lived in. I mean, he lived in not just kind of creative and professional fears, but real global fears in terms of what he saw happening in the Middle East, what he thought was happening in Asia. I mean, every part of the world to him represented a kind of potential uh, trouble spot, a place where, you know, really the end of the world could could begin. And as I was saying earlier, again, this is a period where the, the kind of amount of media that was in, uh, available to him was so much narrower than what's out there now, that he was basically just somebody who watched some TV news, mostly, you know, read all the newspapers, listened to the radio, and that was enough to kind of not drive him over the edge, but really make him genuinely fearful for the fate of the world. And, uh, you know, it, it, you, it, when you look at people now who are kind of, uh, you know, pushed over the edge by, uh, you know, social media or what they can read in, you know, chat rooms, and you think, well, how, how, how does this happen to people? It's, it's actually very plausible. It's very understandable. And that, that 
you know, the more the more you think about things, the more you see how these things are interconnected. Uh, you know, the more uh, paranoid and, and, and or maybe realistic uh, it makes you. That's great because uh, you know one of the things we Mike and I were talking about is that uh, you know it's, it's mentioned in your book. I think at the end, too bad he didn't live to write a book called the to write a film called Internet, but That's he already has. Yeah, it, you know, it said about him that I yeah. mean it's funny because you know I mean obviously Sor I mean Sorkin is a real devotee of Chayefsky. There, I think sort of personal attitudes are so different, but I think that it, you know certainly Sorkin was trying to channel a certain amount of Chayefsky in the social network, which was named almost as a kind of, uh, you, you know, a, a nod to network that, that I think that, you know, a different, a totally different set of characters, a different milieu, people of very different ages, but also acting in very kind of uh, sinister self-interest and then end up creating a real kind of mechanism that uh, we all know now has, has, you know, just really uh, massive, dangerous power. So let's talk about going back to what you said before about Ned Beatty, which I believe that that scene was filmed in the New York Public Library. That's right. So they, they, they had wanted to shoot it at the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> and initially they kind of had like a tacit, you know, permission. And then, of course, they had to, you know, give the pages of the scene to them. And, and once, the you know, the, the basically, you know, the sort of media miners for the Stock Exchange saw the scene that Beatty was going to deliver, they were like, no way. Yeah. Uh, so they moved it to, you know, you know, this this beautiful uh, boardroom at the uh, the main branch of the New York Public Library. And it's, I mean, almost to the benefit of that scene. It, 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 you just can't imagine it happening anywhere else now. When you, when you did your research, did you ever want to go in that room and stand at one end of the table and say, you will atone? <laughs> I am I am so not an actor. I, I'm not somebody with any desire to be, you know, in front of an audience in, in that way. So trust me, no, it never, it never comes up. <laughs> well, one of the things that happens with that scene in, in the book, you mentioned that after Ned Beatty, you know, threw his, his heart and soul into that performance and, and, and reciting that long speech and getting it pitch perfect that he asked Chayefsky how it was. And he said, he said, it was okay. It was yeah. fine. It was fine. So uh, let's talk about that moment as representative of his character uh, in a bigger sense. So yeah. before you said he's grumpy, um, before I read your book, all I knew about him was that he was very controlling. I knew he wanted every actor. I mean, you know, obviously I knew about Marty and I knew about the debacle of altered states, but um, this book confirms what, what, a, what a grouch he was in certain ways and how, um, how uh, obsessive he was about certain things in the best way. But my favorite moment in the whole book is that his death scene yeah. is when you talk about his death and it's it's such a great moment of 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 irony and pathos and i just want to read like two or three sentences from it for the, for the listeners out there so this is he's at columbian presbyterian um his his condition's getting worse he's dying of throat cancer i think it is or is it he, I mean, he had uh, several forms of cancer yeah, so, yeah, by, by that time it had metastasized. Yeah. And it says, um, and here's from your book, it says, but as his condition worsened, he required an emergency tracheotomy to remove fluid that was building up in his lungs, and the surgery robbed him of the ability to speak. Chayefsky's great, angry, unyielding voice, which no occasion or adversary had ever been able to suppress, had been silenced at last. Before he died at 11.45 a.m. on August 1st, 1981, he wrote his last words on a pad to his wife, Susan. They read, quote, I tried. I really tried. That moment uh, knocked the wind out of me when, when I came across it. And I'm interested in how your sense of the subject, how did your impression of Chasky get more complicated or or change in any ways as you started to do the research? You know, obviously, it's 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 tricky in a, in a situation where you know, with Chayefsky, for example, obviously, I did not have 
you know, any personal access to him and, and did not have the chance to, to know him, uh, you know, during his, his own lifetime where, you know, I, I, he was, when he died, I was only, uh, you know, five years old. So I didn't really come to his work until much later in, in life. But, you know, on the one hand, uh, certainly had opportunity to speak to people who, uh, you know, work closely uh, with him and his, his longtime producing partner, his partner who on, on network was still alive at the time that I wrote the book. And so got to talk to him, uh, you know, quite a bit. Uh, and as I said, also just in, in his papers, which are voluminous and which, you know, comprise, yes, all the screen work that he did, but really just everything that he wrote down, even if it was just like a little, uh, you know, uh, shopping or to-do list that he left for Susan when he was out at work, uh, you know, all got saved. And, you know, it's, uh, of course, this is in a pre-digital age. All that he had was, you know, pen and paper and typewriter. And, you know, he was a, a very, uh, uh, you know, I mean, just a, an obsessive writer and, you know, wrote a great deal and, you know, doodled in margins and did crossword puzzles and acrostics. So there is a ton of material in those archives. And at least, you know, by, spe by spending time, you know, reading a chunk of that, you do get a sense of him and what, you know, what drove him and what uh, captivated him and just the notes that he would write to himself on his own screenplays. He was not somebody who, for example, wrote a draft and then showed it around to producers or, or friends and said, what do you think? Do you like it? <laughs> he did not care. But he was, uh, you know, a vicious kind of self-critic and would write kind of long uh, you know, directives to himself or uh, just almost like not really like a diary, but diary style entries in mm -hmm. the sense of like, you know, what am I worried about today? What about this screenplay do I not think is working? Or what about this scene or this speech? And he would, you know, really internalize it uh, and take it, you know, very personally and beat himself up over things. And so through that, you do get a sense of what his process is like, how he you know, how his mind uh, worked and what was of concern to him. And so it's through that you can kind of get a sense of his, you know, just his overall demeanor and, and personality. And then, you know, he did a fair amount of, uh, you know, a lot of television appearances and, and talk shows. And you can see him, you know, on the Mike Douglas show and they're doing, you know, it's some kind of, a, you know, Hawaiian tribute episode and they're all decked out in Hawaiian shirts and, and fake, you know, lays. And, and Chayefsky just looks miserable. He, he wishes he was anywhere else in the world. He's just like the one, the one guy on that set that can't, uh, you know, seem to get into the mood. That's just the kind of guy that, that, that he was. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious, but it's, it tells you so much, uh, you know, about, about who he was. Well, I'll pick up on that because I told Dan this, my favorite part about your book is how much of it is dedicated to showing Kayevsky as an auteur and detailing the process. And it the way that you write about his search for, um, you know, Limoges and like coming up with emeritus, which gets pronounced emeritus on the, <laughs> on the set and it, just the search, the search for the perfect world and the, and the self-criticism, it reminded me of, you know, reading about uh, Hemingway in Paris or something or, or Flaubert, you know, um, to toiling away. And I was wondering if you had any of those aesthetic models kind of in the back of your head when writing about him as a writer. Yeah. And then like yeah. the, the second part of that question would be if you say, OK, if he's Flaubert and Network is his Madame Bovary, like I'm in, I'm inclined to agree. I think that it's one of the greatest the greatest self-contained screenplays that I've ever read or that I've ever seen. So why is it not more? Not, why is it not more famous? 
that's it. Those are interesting questions. I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I would not go so far as to say that I was imagining some of the people like, you know, Hemingway or Flaubert, but they're, they're excellent, uh, you know, comparisons. And that's part, that's part of my own interest in Chayefsky was just, you know, the, the sort of the singularity with which he went about his work and how unusual a kind of screenwriting career he had, because no one uh, then or since really had the kind of control over his movies that he did, even though he was never the director on these films. Uh, I mean, you know, I make this point, but if you look at the credits for Network, uh, it does not say, you, you know, uh, screen, his, his on-screen credit does not say screenplay by Paddy Chayefsky. It says Network by Paddy Chayefsky. And no other screenwriter enjoyed that or had that level of kind of uh, authorship, uh, you know, that he, if, if he wrote the movie, it really was his movie. And obviously Lumet's, uh, you know, fingerprints are all over it and his, he's as much invested in it. But, you know, Chayefsky was there with him on the set every day and, you know, watching all the takes and he gave notes and he, you know, I don't know if he was the one calling cut, but he could tell Lumet, you know, this person got a line wrong or they said a word wrong and, you know, asked for a new take. Uh, you know, way more control and input than any screenwriter uh, had. But you know, as far as the you know sort of the theme of the movie, I think I think it kind of ebbs and flows. I think that there are moments where it kind of comes back into uh, the cultural consciousness. And, and I mean, in a way, like it, I mean, this this book came out uh, originally in uh, 2014, I believe. And if I had published it two years later, in the midst of the you know, let's say the 2016 presidential election, I think it might have been uh, even more relevant. I, th I think, you know, there are there are just times where people, uh, you know, come back to it and, and recognize its significance, you know, uh, it's it's so specific in, in a way. It's not, you know, it, it isn't, um, uh, you know, I mean, The Godfather obviously is set in a certain period of time, but there's a kind of timelessness uh, about it. The network is about a very, very, a uh, particular moment in in America, and and you know, every once in a while, I think we sort of think to ourselves, "Well, it's so distant. What can it really have to say about the period that we're in now?" And then people watch it, and they're like, "Oh my God, it's incredibly prescient. It's incredibly relevant." And I feel like it does kind of come back. And in some ways, it's it's much more, uh, you know, better remembered than a lot of other Chayefsky movies, which are also quite good. Even you know, a, a, a film. Uh, like Marty, which you mentioned, which is, uh, you know, excellent and beautiful, or something like The Hospital, uh, which he also won an Oscar for. That, I think, is almost completely uh, forgotten. And that's all, in, in a way, a kind of uh, a prototype of network or a dry run for network. Uh, and that, you know, you think a, a kind of savagery of the, uh, you know, American uh, medical system and the insurance, uh, that would be very relevant, too. But that seems like it's almost completely uh, fallen off of the map. Network, I think, still stands up. Well, it's funny you said about about um, how much he cares about words and about how you got a word wrong and things like that. Because if, if if the saddest and most touching moment for me in the book was the death scene, the thing that made me laugh out loud was the scene of Chayefsky reading the novelization of Network, and he <laughs> writes in the margin somewhere like, "What is this shit?" Like it's it's you know to put the novelization of his screenplay up before him strikes me as you know someone in an office got chewed out for that. Yeah. I mean, I really feel for the person who kind of, you know, got, I mean, it, it's such a, it's an impossible assignment to begin with, but if you ever see, you know, in, in, I mean, among the papers in his archives are the kind of the proofs of what was supposed to be the novelization or how the author wrote it. And it's, 
I mean, you know, forgive me, but it's not good. It's as somebody reading the screenplay and really going in a very far flung over the top uh, direction. And I, I can imagine, you know, I, ca- I could never write like Chayefsky, but I can imagine being Chayefsky and reading this and thinking, this is what somebody else thinks of my work. This is what somebody thought I was trying to go for. And, and uh, you know, feeling violated by that. And he certainly made that known. So let's 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 end by talking about you talked about how networks about a very specific place in time, but it's also certainly timeless in, in certain themes. You said, you know, because earlier you said it's about real people. So yeah. you don't just get the you know, you get the, you know, uh, the William Holden, Faye Dunaway romance and, and things like that. Um, the thing that Mike and I think is so fascinating about this is you said what happened if this if the film you have know, the book came out, I'm sorry, in 2016, is that um, everybody wants to claim you know, Howard Beale in a way. I think that like, I think people of all political stripes and you talk at the end of the book, you have, you know, Bill O'Reilly and Keith Olbermann both talking about, you know, the prescience <laughs> of network and, um, and it's about anger. And we certainly live in a time right. of anger now. Right. But it, it, what's so funny is that it seems like everybody wants to, everybody can watch network now and say, well, UBS, well, obviously that's the Fox news or obviously that's CNN or obviously like it, it's so, it's so good at transcending the pettiness in a way that strikes me as how, people of all political stripes will claim George Orwell as their patron saint. So you could be you could be on the left and say, well, Orwell clearly speaks for us. And you could be on the right and say, well, clearly George Orwell is articulating all of our ideas. Right? So, so you know, what, what do you make of that, about the, um, about the timelessness of it? Do you think we're angrier now? Do you think the anger is what sticks when all the other um, minutiae about, about the plot fall away? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's hard to know if we're ang- angrier now, but I mean, certainly, you know, that anger as a, a, a sort of what's a driver of politics and of media and a place where the two meet is is undeniable. And, and you know, what's different now is the degree to which, although, I mean, you see how the seeds are sown in network of how people uh, want, you know, it's, it's not the sort of the, the ginning up of anger is not accidental. And, you know, it's, 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 it's being, done deliberately it's being it's you know not just uh, a man on a tv set sort of you know having the spontaneous experience but it's the people surrounding him who want to keep egging him on and who are thinking up new ways to kind of drive it and and manipulate it and 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 who think uh that they can control it that they think that you know they have the ability to kind of steer their audience through that and discover of course that they cannot, and you know, it, God, we still have not learned that lesson by any stretch of the imagination. Thanks again for talking to us, Dave. We really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, it was great having you. The invitation, I, I really appreciate it. We really enjoyed it. Uh, if you're listening out there, pick up Dave's book, Mad as Hell, The Making of Network and the Fateful Vision of the Angriest Man in Movies. We promise you it's a great read. It's a great, great book about a great, great film. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.